Year's resolution. Something that goes in one year and out the other. Correct. Pay that man $8. Welcome to the last Rapidly Rotating Records show of 2020. An hour of toe-tapping music from Rapidly Rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s with yours truly, Glenn Robison. On Island Radio, KISL Avalon at 88.7 on your FM dial and at KISLAvalon.com on your internet dial. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more on everything from Aeolian to Xenophone, and by everyone from Aronson to Zerky. On this week's show, we're going to take a musical trip to Wyoming, we'll visit some exotic isles, have a vocabulary lesson, half-fulfill a request, and give in. We're all constantly bombarded with advertising on TV, radio, social media, and even in phone apps, with most ads being annoying, if not downright maddening but I can appreciate and even enjoy a commercial or ad that is creative, attention-grabbing, or unique. Of course, there are also print ads in brochures, catalogs, magazines, posters, and even billboards, and one of the most revolutionary, famous, and influential of all print advertisements appeared in the June 23, 1923 edition of the Saturday Evening Post. The ad was for the Jordan Playboy manufactured by the Jordan Motor Car Company of Cleveland, Ohio. At the center of the page was a color illustration in little detail of an elegant convertible automobile racing a woman on horseback. It conveyed energy and speed, and below it, in large type, was the line, Somewhere West of Laramie, four words which founder Ned Jordan had heard while en route to San Francisco by train. Below that was a 63-word paragraph which included nothing at all about the car's price, features, or specifications, which is what made the ad so different. It did, however, tell the story of the horseback-riding woman in the illustration, the type of person for whom the Jordan Playboy was made. The Jordan Motor Car Company went out of business in 1931, a casualty of the Great Depression. There's lots more to the story of Ned Jordan, Jordan Automobiles, and the Jordan Company, but for this segment, we're going to take a musical journey to somewhere west of Laramie. Mens han red under solens gule brand, klang hans stemme langt ud over prægen. Stadig den samme melodi. Det var sangen om den pige, som var hans i Laramie. Når månens lys blev tændt, så 
Og sad han ensom ved bålets flammeskær Og tænkte på sin hjertens kær derhjemme Glemmer var svært for ham Fordi det var lykken selv han bød farvel Den gang i Laramie Af bjergets dejle tinder er skjult et sted, han elsker højst på jord Over hans længsel god En gamle drøm, som igen vil trøste ham Til han rider videre i morgen Sorgen bliver glemt i nat Fordi i sin drøm er han Hvad bjerget rand på vej til Aramie Han elsker højst på jord Over hans længsel god Den gamle drøm, som igen vil trøste ham Til han rider videre i morgen Sorgen bliver glemt i nat Fordi i sin drøm er han Hvad bjerget svang på vej til Aramie Hear the stagecoach on the trail Got a creak in the wheel like a coyote's wail Gonna be on time cause I just can't fail With the lady from Laramie Gonna shine my spurs and part my hair And I got a little butter to keep it there Can't look too good for a love so fair As a lady from Laramie Oh, the stagecoach is coming Start the music strumming The stagecoach's coming And my love I'm going to see Rumbling, tumbling, squeaking, creaking, hurry on down, fetch the deacon, the stagecoach is coming with the lady from Laramie. I once knew a gal from Tulsa City, big and blonde and a little half-witty, twice as dumb but never so pretty as a lady from Laramie. There's stagecoach coming around the bend and it ain't too far from the journey's end. Now I got a little kiss that I'm going to lend to the lady from Laramie. Oh, the stagecoach is coming, start the music strumming. The stagecoach is coming, and my love I'm going to see. Rumbling, tumbling, squeaking, creaking, hurry on down, fetch the deacon. The stagecoach is coming with the lady from Laramie. There's a stagecoach kicking up dust on the road. Go tell the driver that he gotta be slowed, cause he never once carried such a pretty little load as the lady from Laramie. I got no pain, I got no sorrow, I got no money that I need to borrow. I'm taking the stagecoach out tomorrow with the lady from Laramie. Oh, the stagecoach is coming, start the music strumming. 
The stagecoach coming and my love I'm going to see. Rumbling, tumbling, squeaking, creaking, hurry on down and fetch the deacon. The stagecoach is coming with the lady from Laramie. Tucker and his orchestra with Bonnie Baker providing the vocal and asking the musical question, Will you marry me, Mr. Laramie? That's from Columbia 36223, recorded March 18, 1940. Will you marry me, Mr. Laramie was written by Dale Evans and Robert Dale Butts. Yeah, that Dale Evans, the queen of the cowgirls. We started that Laramie set with The Man from Laramie, written by Lester Lee and John D. Jensen. If you had a little trouble understanding the words, that's because they were sung in Danish by Paul Bundgaard, accompanied by Ilo Manneson and his orchestra from a 1955 Polyphon 78. The Man from Laramie is from the 1955 Jimmy Stewart picture of the same name. 
And The Man from Laramie was followed by The Lady from Laramie, written and sung by Terry Gilkison, who accompanied himself on guitar. That's from Decca 24949, recorded August 1, 1949. Terry Gilkison was born in 1916 and, following military service during World War II, moved to California to pursue a career as a folk singer. He wrote, performed, and recorded primarily Western music, and in 1956 formed a group called the Easy Riders. In the 1960s, he left the group to work for Walt Disney Studios, writing music for movies and the TV series The Wonderful World of Disney. In 1968, he was nominated for an Academy Award for The Bare Necessities from Disney's animated film The Jungle Book. Terry Gulkison died October 15, 1999. I'm Glenn Robison, and you and I are listening to Rapidly Rotating Records, bringing you vintage music to which you can't not tap your toes from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s. Longtime listener Michael requested I play Isle of Zorda by Mike Markell's orchestra. Now, Fritch Conady got a request for a song, but had to play it by someone else because he didn't have it by that particular artist. He referred to it as a near-quest. Unfortunately, I don't have a broadcast-quality copy of Isle of Zorda by Mike Markell, but I do have it as a nice xylophone solo by Jess Libanati. So here's a near-quest for listener Michael.
white man to ever land on, on the Hokomoko Isle was Pat McShane of the shipwreck chain with his great big Irish smile. The natives found him, gathered round him, and began to sing. They took his clothes, put a ring in his nose, and then they crowned him king. He ruled a while upon the island, and then he sent a note to a girl so grand in Ireland. He wrote, won't you come out to the Isle of Hokomoko, Kilioko, see your mumbo riding on a jumbo, Kilioko. Girl, there greet you in fine regalia and bunting. Men go there and play the deuce, making that land their excuse to say that they've been big game hunting. On the Isle of Hoochacoochah, where the dancing girls will suit you, 
married men, if you're hen-picked, jump in a boat and go and get shipwrecked on the Isle of Hoochacoochah, for the fashions are but few. There they dance and make a din, no wonder men stand round and grin, and the sun comes out and won't go in on the Isle of Hoochacoochah. On the Isle of Hoochacoochah, where the dancing girls will suit you. Men are scarce, in fact so rare, that each one's an answer to a maiden's prayer. On the Isle of Hoochacoochah, there's plenty there to view. Alla gazonka te bahila ho, alla kachadum palahalla, alla kudahum bai, alla kudahum mahu. On the Isle of Hoochacoochah. I purposely put those last few lines in the native tongue, as I thought they, were, they weren't quite nice for you to listen to. And I'm so anxious to keep my records quite nice and repaid. Fun without vulgarity, mirth for young and old. <laughs> Shut up. That little isle of Hoochacoo teaches men and MPs too, seeking the widest information. When they have been there some time, what they learn out in that climb is more than a college education. On the Isle of Hoochacoochah, where the dancing girls will suit you, no Cochrane shows upon that shore. You pay far less and see a dance sight more. On the Isle of Hoochacoochah, in frocks they've something new. Their dresses have a modern trend. They start quite late, and oh, my friend, they never quite reach their journey's end. On the Isle of Hoochacoochah. Together in the flower all dance on the Isle of Hoochacoochah. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's, I'm always doing that. Uh, sorry. Always drifting into the wrong song. So we can't wait. Let's get on with it. And the Hoochacoochah husbands have a dozen wives, perhaps two. So a wife sometimes may get depressed. If she wants a cuddle, so do all the rest. She waits in the queue and she hopes for the best on the Isle of Hoochacoochah.
That's the Triple R debut for that record on the Isle of Wicky Wacky Woo. Gene Rodemix Orchestra, June 19, 1923, from Brunswick 2474. On the Isle of Wicky Wacky Woo was written, excuse me, written by Walter Donaldson. I don't know to what degree, if any, he was referring back to it, but in 1916, Albert von Tilzer wrote a tune called Oh How She Could Yacky Hacky Wicky Wacky Woo which was interpolated into the 1916 Edwardian musical comedy Hoopla. Before that, one of the earliest stars of BBC Radio, English singer and pianist Norman Long, with The Isle of Hoochacoochah Coocha from January 30, 1931. It took me a while to figure it out, but The Isle of Hoochacoochah Coocha was written by Clarkson Rose and Hastings Mann, the same pair who brought us In the Bushes at the Bottom of the Garden, and when Sally left the alley. Before Norman Long, Collins and Harlan were on the Hokomoko Isle. They recorded that three times in 1916, in February for Columbia and Edison, but first for Victor on January 31st, which is the record we heard. On the Hokomoko Isle was composed by Harry Von Tilzer with the words by Lou Klein. We started our little isle-hopping adventure with a xylophone solo by Jess Libanati of Isle of Zorda. Columbia 3680 was waxed July 13, 1922, and Isle of Zorda was written by Victor Nurnberg. Jules Verne's 1885 adventure novel Matthias Sandorf was the basis for a 1921 French silent film using the same name, but released in the U.S. as Isle of Zorda. Jess Libanati was born in Italy on December 23, 1883, as Cesar Libanati. He arrived in the U.S. in March of 1885 and grew up in Chicago, where his formal education ended with the third grade, but he learned to play drums and began his musical career at the Dime Museum on Chicago's west side. He became a naturalized citizen on February 13, 1905, and two weeks later applied for a passport to be able to travel to France for two years with Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. When he returned, Libanati learned to play the xylophone and eventually made it to headline at the Palace Theater, billed as the original ragtime xylophonist. He retired to Pacoima here in California out in the San Fernando Valley, where at age 70 he still had the costume and headdress he wore in Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. Jess Libanati died January 28, 1965 in Ventura, California. I've mentioned before that I subscribe to a Facebook group called Grandiloquent Word of the Day. One of the words last week was moiety, M-O-I-E-T-Y. It's a technical term in organic chemistry and has a specific meaning in anthropology, but for our purposes, moiety is a noun meaning half of something, especially when it's divided into two equal parts. So for this segment, here's a melange of musical moieties, beginning with Alfredo and his band.
better than no moon, any old place and any old where. If a girl who's close by your side there feels satisfied there, what do you care? You can soon write any old June night, and if there's moonlight, she's bound to fall. A moon in a quarter, or even one shorter, ask anyone's daughter, it's better than no moon at all, it's better than no moon at all.
British band leader George Fisher, whose real last name was Fishberg, recorded under two band names, George Fisher and his Kit Kat Band, after London's ultra-chic Kit Kat Club, and George Fisher and his Rhythm Band, which is the group we heard with Half a Kiss, from HMV B5485, made April 25, 1928. Half a Kiss was written by Vernon Duke for the musical crime play The Yellow Mask, which opened at the Carlton Theatre in London on February 8, 1928, and ran for 218 performances, and was also made into a film in 1930. Before that, Prince's Band with Castles Half and Half from Columbia A5562 waxed April 16, 1914. James Reese Europe and Ford Dabney wrote the tune for Dancing the Half and Half. In 1912, Vernon and Irene Castle invented the dance called the half-and-half, which was more a comedy routine, since the dancer's costume is half-tuxedo and half-ball gown sewn together, and the dancer danced with himself or herself. We started this moiety set with Alfredo Gill, recording under the affectatious Alfredo and his band with Half a Moon. Half a Moon was written by the trio of Eddie Dowling, James F. Hanley, and Herbert Reynolds, and that Edison Bell Winner 78, number 4670, was made around June 10, 1927. I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is Rapidly Rotating Records. We're here each and every Sunday evening at 6 on Island Radio, FM 88.7, KISL Avalon, and KISLAvalon.com. This and all of our previous shows are also available 24-7, on demand, anytime at all online at RapidlyRotatingRecords.com. And we're on all the major podcast directories. A couple of weeks ago, we had a segment about giving up. Now, giving up means you've accepted you will not do something and you stop trying. It's not quite the same as to give in, meaning you've decided to let someone or something else dominate and control a situation. Here's Benny Carter to declare musically that he'll never give in.
My girl likes to feel my pulse. Wish she wouldn't feel my pulse. But she knows how to get results. That makes me give in. She says things that make me blush. She would make a sailor blush. But when my ribs she tries to crush, that makes me give in. Won't let me deny her any new sensation. She makes me supply her, I'm her service station. Locks the door and says you'll stay. When it's late, I hate to stay. But when she throws the key away, that makes me give in. Oh, 
Benny Carter got things started in that set, declaring I'll never give in on March 24, 1937, from British Decca F42121. I'll Never Give In was written by Freddie Johnson and arranged by Carter, who was accompanied by the Ramblers. The Ramblers was a working Dutch swing jazz band founded in 1926 by pianist Theo Udan Mossman and is still in existence today. Benny Carter might never give in, but he was followed by Ford Britton and his Blue Comets with That Makes Me Give In. Ford Britton was the vocalist on that July 8, 1930 Clarion 78, number 5006. Well, not really, because as you may remember, Ford Britton was a pseudonym for tenor Bill Cody, and the band was actually a Lou Gold outfit. That Makes Me Give In was written by Spencer Williams. We finished up with I Give In So Easy. According to the label of Vocalion 05368, novelty singing by Gail Ryan with hot dance accompaniment by the Sweet Violet Boys. I Give In So Easy was written by R.F. Hartley, and that record was made January 18, 1940. The tradition of making New Year's resolutions goes all the way back to the ancient Babylonians. In the 1930s, about a quarter of American adults made New Year's resolutions, but that number has gone up now to between 40 and 50 percent, with about half of those likely to succeed. Sounds a little optimistic to me. Back in 1908, Uncle Josh decided to resolve not to swear, and here he is to tell you about how well that went. Well, every New Year's down home, they'd all swear off from doing one thing and another, and I never took very much stock in it, but this New Year's, we was all down to Esri Hoskins grocery store, and they got to thinking what they'd swear off from doing, and we all calculated that Esri might swear off from putting any more sand in the sugar, and Jim Lawson could swear off from telling any more whoppers, and Deacon Witherspoon might swear off from preaching any more long-winded sermons. <laughs> well, I got to thinking about it, and I calculated I'd swear off from saying any more cuss words. Well, I kind of felt good about it all day. Well. When evening time come, I went out to do the milking. I had my store clothes on. I just got a bucket chuck full of milk. When that darned old cow critter wailed away and kicked me bucket milking all flour over at the fence corner, and I sucked down the hog trough, and the milk went all over my clothes, and I felt like saying something then, but I didn't. <laughs> Then I went to chopping up some wood, and I hadn't chopped more than a dozen sticks when a stick flew up and hit me alongside the head, and I sucked down, and I seen more stars than ever was created. Well, I felt like saying something then, but I didn't. <laughs> well, after supper, Mother wanted some things out of the cellar for baking the next day, and I went down, got a pitcher of molasses and a pitcher of cider and a basket of apples, and I started upstairs, and I just got up the top when my foot slipped, and I never stopped rolling till I got clear down to the bottom. Well, cider went all over my clothes, and molasses got in my hair, and them apples bumped me in the face, and right then and there, by gosh, I broke that pledge. <laughs> 
Cal Stewart as Uncle Josh in July of 1908 with Uncle Josh's New Year's Pledge from an indestructible cylinder record. I don't think too many people will be sad for this terrible year of 2020 to be over, and I think we're all looking forward to a much better 2021. It will automatically get infinitely better on January 20th. Here to help usher out 2020 and ring in 2021 is Nevada Vanderveer. Nevada Vanderveer was born July 25, 1884, in New York City. On June 23, 1909, she married Reed Miller at Springfield Center, New York, and they honeymooned at Lake Champlain as guests of Walter Damrosch and Francis Fisher Powers. If the name Reed Miller rings a bell, it should, because on the December 6th show, he sang Friend to the End by Arthur Wimperis. A blurb in a 1918 edition of the Musical Monitor 
says that Reed Miller and his, quote, almost equally distinguished wife, unquote, Nevada, share their professional successes without jealousy and are equally congenial in their hobbies of flowers and collecting pictures and thrift stamps. If I were Nevada, I'm not quite sure how I'd take being called almost equally distinguished, but in a Cincinnati Enquirer review of a performance, she was described as having a voice of depth and purity under admirable control. She performed at Carnegie Hall in London and Paris, and from 1934 to 1949, was head of the voice department at the Cleveland Institute of Music. Nevada Vanderveer died September 26, 1958, in New York City, and is buried at the Springfield Cemetery in Springfield Center, New York. I'm Glenn Robison, and I'm very pleased that you've chosen to spend this past hour with me listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. If you had half as much fun as I did, then I had twice as much fun as you. I wish each and every one of you a safe, healthy, happy, exceedingly prosperous, and most importantly, COVID-free New Year. I hope you'll click in or tune in again next year, and as always... I thank you for your very kind attention. Now that the party is over and it's time for us to go, we have a secret to tell you, something that you should know. Until